Uh, I was reading my Bible this week as I was, uh, this actually just in my personal time, and I came across this scripture in Ecclesiastes 3. And the verse, uh, chapter, or verse 11 just says this, God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he's also set eternity in the human heart. Isn't that beautiful? I just love that image. And what that spoke to me, I actually didn't delve really deeply into the, the Hebrew here. I just kind of let it hit me on a personal level. And it reminds me that essentially God, I believe, has put into our heart this hunger for something more. I would like to think that like you're not here this morning unless you want something more from life, you know, more than what life tells you is possible or is normal. You know, are we more than our jobs? Are we more than our sorrows? Are we more than our challenges? Are we more than our triumphs? And I believe we are. I believe that God has put eternity and a hunger for something way beyond me. I believe that he has hardwired that into my heart. And, and that's the way I say it. I think humanity is actually hardwired for something more. I think when we settle for just what we can see and only what we can taste and touch and put in our wallets, I believe we actually lose. I don't know if you've ever known anybody who's lived their life that way. And quite frankly, like that can be a really small existence. Only what we taste, see, touch, and what's in our bank accounts. And I think that God has hardwired us for something more, and he is always calling us to that. He is inviting us to that. I think that's the record of Scripture, actually, from Genesis 3, when, when Adam and Eve first take the apple and something breaks in creation, God's first response is to call out to Adam and Eve, where are you? Where have you gone? And I think that has continued from then till now and beyond. God calling out human beings, humanity, whatever your name is, where are you? I want to know you. I want you to experience something more. And I think our struggle comes a little bit when we actually come to a place like E3. Um, at E3, we declare that we are here, we exist to make, mature, and mobilize fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that we exist to do. Make, mature, mobilize. Have them experience God on Sunday, have them grow together in a growth group, and have them serve each other and the community at large. And if you're curious and you've never heard that before, the way we would say a follower of Christ is identified is somebody who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and who loves others as themselves. This vertical connection with God and this horizontal connection with others. But still, when we come into a place like this, I think uh, even if you come in and you're, you're, you are primed for an invitation from God, sometimes we can get challenged by, well, how do I actually respond to God? And we sing some songs, and then I talk mostly for too long on a Sunday. Um, and, and that addresses the way, it addresses some critical things that the church has to do, which is, which is hear the, the gospel, the good news proclaimed, and worship together. But 
in terms of how we individually respond to God, make, uh, please don't be uh, confused. I know that there are folks that come here who do not connect with God in the way that we um, present him on a Sunday, you know? I love music, and, and I have a long history of worshiping in the church. And if you looked over your shoulder back there, I'm usually doing something that's pretty embarrassing physically because I like to worship so much, you know? I'm running around or lifting my hands up, but that's not everybody. That's not everybody. And so for a long time, while I was struggling with how do I connect with God, I mean, one of the questions I had was, well, when I come into a, when I come into a, a corporate gathering, this is what we call this, a gathering of God's people, like is, is responding to God a one-size-fits-all thing? You know, are we all supposed to say, well, we all should lift our hands and worship and we, should we all sing? Well, yes, there are times we should all stretch that. But are there other ways to connect with God? And I just want to tell you uh, flat out that uh, my life changed because somebody presented essentially a version of this sermon to me and, and some other leaders at the church that I was a part of in about 1999. And this sermon really expanded my mind. And it answered the question, is following God a one-size-fits-all spirituality? Spoiler alert, the answer is no. See, God has put eternity in our hearts, but he has wired us all to respond and, uh, and pursue him and respond to that truth of eternity in our hearts. He's, he's wired us up to do it differently. And so this morning, all I want to do is walk through nine different identified paths to respond to God. And there might be others. But uh, somebody, and, and this is the book right here. It's, it's a guy named Gary Thomas who wrote this book called Sacred Pathways. So this is nothing new that I'm presenting to you today. I'm just summarizing essentially what uh, Gary Thomas wrote. And he identified nine different paths that people have historically pursued God along. And I just want to lay them out for you today. So we're just going to walk through them, and I'll talk about how they've interacted in my life. They're in no particular order. And each of these, I want to tell you, comes with a little bit of a definition, an invitation, if this is the way you identify, but also comes with a caution. All right? So here we go. We're just going to jump in. The first uh, pathway is the naturalist pathway. Now, these are the folks that their heart um, finds both peace and resonance and spirituality when they are out in God's creation. When they're walking through a greenway in Tom Brown or when they're out hunting, I have a good friend of mine, and he told me for the first time just a few months ago, he said, you know what? He said, when I am out in nature, when I'm hunting, he's like, I feel God's peace unlike no other place on earth. And not only do I feel like that was freeing for him to acknowledge that, it was freeing for me as his friend to acknowledge that. Because sometimes I can get caught up in the idea of like, again, should we all just raise our hands and sing? No. One way that we can respond to God is by getting outside and just looking at the beauty of God's creation. Now, it's on us to actually look. You can't declare yourself a naturalist or, or walking along the naturalist pathway, but never actually pause to look at the beauty 
and acknowledge the creator behind it. So the invitation for you is, look, go take a walk. You might, you might want to get up now and go take, look, don't do that. Um, but if this is your pathway, do it. Do it and do it as much as you can. Get out into the places that make you thankful that God has created you and created them. Now, there are some cautions associated with this, some, some, some things that you need to be aware of. Sometimes, if you just spend a lot of time in God's nature by yourself, you can start to believe that, like, this connection with God is just all about you and God. And, and if you remember at E3, we said you have to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You also have to love other people. So connecting with God is not just about saying uh, this, it's this individualistic thing. A sort of an, an additional caution would be just to remember. Uh, this, I don't mean to sound trite. Uh, God is not a tree. God is God. You can hug a tree as gratitude to God, but don't confuse the idea that you are hugging God if you decide to hug a tree, okay? Don't confuse the gift with the giver. It's essentially that. Second pathway is uh, what they call uh, the sensates. These are people who worship God and respond to him with their senses, uh, eyes, uh, nose, ears. These are the folks that... Uh, it, can, it can be a painting, it can be a piece of music, it can be just something beautiful, and your senses just go. There's something deep inside you that goes, yes, I see God now. I experience him now. You're, maybe the hairs on your arm uh, or the back of your neck stand up a little bit, and you can worship God. You know, I remember, um, I remember when... Uh, this is one of my pathways, just to let you know. Um, but when we were in uh, Paris, and I remember just walking through the Great Hall of Paintings, and I'm, I don't really get art. I'm not an art theorist. But just being moved by the grandeur of those things, I, I was crying, you know, and I was embarrassing my wife. And she'll go, oh, gosh. <laughs> but then also, like, we just did this at Good Friday, what we call Tenebrae. If you guys were there, we hand out nails, you know. Because part of, us, part of uh, experiencing God with your senses sometimes is touch. And so as we walked through the story of Jesus, people were just there to, to hold on to these nails that pierced the flesh of a real man. You know, and some of you guys got ambushed by God that night because you had no idea how powerfully God can work through your senses. Now, the caution for us sensates is it can be easy to worship worship to just get caught up in the experiences and the feelings. And again, we have to go beyond and say, you know what? Uh, it's not just about worshiping the experience of worship or the experience of Good Friday or the experience of the painting. We have to connect it to God. We have to be, gratitude. We have to be grateful to God. And then also for us, um, I think a good caution for me is sometimes I have to get up off my butt and stop listening to music and go do something. We have to let our worship translate into service or we become stopped along the pathway. So if you're a person that resonates with art, man, get out of here when you have a chance and go listen to something, experience something, and then just keep in mind 
that we are also called to serve people. Third thing, third way is uh, the traditionalist pathway. These are folks that, are, that really get into a routine and structure in their prayers, and they also get into maybe the way the church has traditionally prayed. So you might see folks like, when they're the ones who are, who are reading prayer books from like 500 years ago. And they don't just make up their own prayers. They want to know how the church has historically prayed. And so they resonate with that, and they use it, and they dig the structure, and they dig the routine. Anybody know anybody like that? Yeah? So a, a, a caution for these folks, maybe you are one, is... Um, Sometimes we can get so rigid in our understanding, and if nobody is interested in the Puritan prayers from the 1600s, we might be like, well, you just don't get God, you know? We have to remember that the, the end goal is to love others. And sometimes traditionalists can become the people in the church that don't want to change. Look, the carpeting has always been that color. I pray, be, I pray better because of the color of the carpet. You can't change the color of the carpet. You know what? Uh, the church has evolved over time. It's one of the beautiful things, the strengths of God's church is that it evolves and changes. So for those of you who, who might experience God through tradition, guess what? Traditions uh, change. So... Go with the flow a little bit. Uh, next, next pathway is an ascetic. Uh, if you've ever encountered or ever seen pictures of monasteries or monks, these would probably uh, be the most visual depiction of an ascetic. They crave solitude. They crave simplicity. You know, they're not interested in. Um, they might have three outfits that they wear because, you know, like, you know what? I just want a simple life. I don't need much more than that. They fast. They stay up long hours praying. And this is the way they experience God. Their cautions sometimes are they can uh, actually fall into the trap of like, look how, look how rigorous I can be for you, God. Look how much I can fast. God, I haven't eaten in, you know, 24 hours. Isn't that good, God? And God says, it's fine, but I would have loved you either way. So if you ever find yourself along this pathway, or if you're ever curious to check it out, you have to beware of the concept of trying to earn God's favor with how rigorous you can be with your spirituality and also relatedly spiritual pride you know my my mentor uh, uh, who I've talked about here uh, he was telling me once that uh, he gets up you know uh, pretty early to pray and he said my goal my ultimate goal is is 4 30 4 30 a.m that's when I want to get up and I want and he prays and meditates for about an hour and he's retired, right? Um, and it's funny, he was doing pretty well with that, but he's also a huge Cubs fan. So he was doing really well with that routine until about the middle of the season last season when he started watching all the Cubs games. He's got the MLB package. And he's like, yeah, he's like, those West Coast games are killing me. We'd be up till 1 a.m. and try to get up at 4. But he is very aware that spiritual pride is another danger. It's another quicksand area for him. Because it's real easy to get prideful, and you're like, well, I got up at 4 o'clock this morning and prayed for an hour. 
Well, so um, now the fifth, the fifth pathway is the pathway of the activist. When I just say that, anybody, anybody instantly say, that's me, doing something, got to be active. This is the, these are the people that say, look, our spirituality has to make an impact in the kingdom. Any activists in the crowd? Wow, that's scary. That's scary. These are the folks that experience God when they are out making a difference in the community. Right? These are the folks that would basically say, look, we have got to go out there and confront the, the uh the powers of injustice in the world, they have to be confronted because God is a God of justice. God's kingdom has a particular expression and we have to get out there and we have to make a difference. So they're the folks, man, they're just like, man, I never experienced God's power as like when I am out there on the front lines of service, of, of, of confronting uh, people who are, who are just pushing against the love and compassion of Jesus, you know? I guess all those folks come to the 11 because I know they're here. They're some of my friends. They are some of my friends, right? And if they had to choose between an hour of, of silent prayer and four hours of standing in the hot sun doing something in public that proclaims God's kingdom, boy, they're out there in the heat, because they would dry up, essentially, in, in solitude, right? So the, um, the downside of this and the challenge is they can get resentful of those of us who are praying inside for an hour. They can be, look, why weren't you out there with us? You should have been there. And they can also get very cynical about the world because, let's face it, change is hard in our world. And God's kingdom does not come easily into this world. And so sometimes it can be easy, just to, it can be really easy to fall into the trap of like, you know what, nothing is ever going to change. And that's really tragedy. And then the last thing is they can also get so caught up in what they are doing outward that they can also neglect the idea that spirituality is supposed to transform us inwardly. So they can do all the right things, challenging and bringing about the kingdom of God in an exterior way, and they can neglect the fact that, you know what, we are also supposed to be slightly less angry, slightly less, um, you know, self-centered. We are supposed to be increasingly in ourselves filled with love and compassion and kindness. So it's not just out there. Uh, it's got to be in here as well. By the way, if, even though you guys have all proclaimed that you're not activists, if you know one, um, look, uh, there's a couple great opportunities coming out. As Dan said, May 6th, we're going to be doing this really, really uh, full and fully orbed service project. And if you know an activist or you know somebody that you think God's knocking on the door of their life and you've tried other things, you've tried, hey, come to a Bible study, and they're like, ah, but, but they love bringing about change in the world. My gosh, invite them to a service project. The other thing that's coming up is another trip to Guatemala. Man, uh, if you have an activist expression in your body or know somebody that, that you want to see God do something in their life, challenge them to go to Guatemala, I think, in July. You're going to be out there seeing what God's kingdom is like. And it can have a powerful effect on somebody. Very similar to that is, is the sixth pathway, which is the pathway of the caregiver. 
Anybody really experience God when you are actively serving somebody else? Like when you were just like able to be there, maybe it's a sick a friend or a sick family member or just somebody in need, and you can be there in a one-to-one way. And something breaks open in your heart, and you're just like, wow, I really feel connected to God, and I feel like I've taken a few steps down this path. Then the caregiver pathway is, is, is for you, and you should find ways to do that more and more and more. You know, and I think this morning of Jesus, we, uh, the last thing he did in the Gospel of John before he's arrested, right, he's with his disciples. He, he puts a towel around his waist, and what's he do? He washes their feet. Which, by the way, like, you can find Jesus in every single one of these pathways. It's really amazing to look at his life and how he lived this out. Um, the challenge here for caregivers is, again, resentment. You know, if you're, if you're doing this way beyond maybe your boundaries. It's easy to get resentful of the people who aren't serving like you are. And sometimes, if you're not careful, it can be, it can be easy to be resentful of the person that needs your help, ironically. Again, because we have to do this with appropriate boundaries. So sometimes we extend ourselves so much that we're not in a place where we should be serving others because what we really should be doing is taking some downtime for ourselves or for our family. And then also, this can get really, really uh, splitting hairs, but sometimes we really need to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, I'm serving this person because it's serving my own agenda. Either because I need something from this person in the future, so I'm gonna take the hit now so that when I call them, <laughs> when I have to move and they have a pickup truck. So it's just a cautionary tale of like, you know what, Let's be honest with our agenda when we're serving. Am I doing this to actually help or am I doing this maybe to get something out of it? Uh, the seventh pathway is the pathway of the enthusiast. All right. These are the folks that are lifting their hands in worship all the time. These are the folks that maybe if you're ever in a conversation, they say, I had a dream last night and God told me in the dream. These folks love mystery and they love celebration. And so they're always saying, like, oh, the Holy Spirit told me to tell you this. And they can be a challenge to, to us who are maybe a little bit more, like, you know, um, I wouldn't say, like, we're more, we're more experiential in, in terms of, like, what can I taste and I touch? Because they'll say, oh, no, God just said you, gotta, you need to go to Guatemala next jo- That I'm not saying that. But um, so celebration and mystery. You know, that life just isn't a matter of us, of us driving around, that there's a spiritual reality, and at any moment, God can speak, all right? And that's true. Now, the caution for an enthusiast is to be addicted to feelings. So as a person who likes to celebrate and in worship, one of my challenges is to acknowledge the fact that, that the worship of God is not predicated on how I felt about the worship of God. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. And my feelings can tell me things were awesome when maybe I never really offered my heart to God. Sometimes my feelings can tell me that worship was really dry, but I didn't realize that that some friend over here or over here was having a profound experience to God and maybe they just didn't show it. So you can't be addicted to the feelings 
about worship. And also, the, the mystery part of reality has to be grounded in, in Scripture and also has to be grounded in the community. So some, sometimes people might say, hey, God told me this. And you're like, well, what you just said directly contradicts Scripture and it directly contradicts what the wisdom of the elders of this community, and by elders, I mean just wise people who have lived a little bit, what they would say is, is good teaching. So I appreciate your mystery, but I can't go there, right? So there's this tension. So uh, pathway number eight are the contemplatives. These are folks who uh, really resonate with God when they can just rest in him and spend time in his presence usually through silence and personal prayer, and they can just let God love them, and they can love God back. If you guys remember, like, one of our primary, if, if not our only primary identifying name in God's universe is we are the beloved first. And for a lot of us, uh, God wants nothing more for us than to just sit down in his presence and hear him say that. Eric, you are my beloved, right? And our hearts resonate with that. Now, um, a caution for the contemplatives. Again, we can forget that our, we can't just hear God call us the beloved and go, yes, God, yes, God, and then go out and drive down Capitol Circle and be like, why are you in my lane, slow car person? That connection with God has to translate to other people or there is something kind of broken. And we also need to realize, relatedly, that worshiping God is about obedience. And so I can't hear God call me the beloved and then not obey him to proclaim his love to other people, to serve other people, to be compassionate as Jesus is compassionate. That belovedness has to find a tangible expression in how I move through the world, right? So last pathway is uh, the intellectual pathway. These are folks that we resonate with God when we are learning about him. So you're reading theology, you're reading uh, these really deep, thick books that can hold doors open, and, and it's not just head knowledge, our, our hearts are lifting up to God, right? We can talk about God conceptually, and that connects with us. Now, the caution is, again, pride. Oh, you mean you have not read Calvin's Institutes? Oh, I haven't, by the way. And again, this this thing of knowing versus doing. I've said this before. You can get all the intellectual questions about God right and, and miss the love entirely. Spirituality is not about knowing the right things. It is about this marriage of knowledge and practice. And intellectuals can love controversy. Oh, Pastor Eric, let's talk about your sacramental view of baptism. Are you sure about that? You know what? Maybe, I don't know. But I'm not a debater, right? And so intellectuals, intellectuals can really crave debate. And sometimes debate ends, ends being productive a long time before the debate actually ends, right? Can you hear me? Okay, so those are the nine pathways. Those are the ways that God has wired you up. 
and I believe that probably every one of those pathways is represented in this room, and every one of you has at least one pathway. He has wired that in you to respond to his invitation. And if you saw one of those words on the screen, and you're like, man, I think that can be me. Guess what? Then you're responsible for that knowledge, and you're responsible for that journey. So, like, what I would like to do, I would just kind of say there's three things that I would like you to kind of consider doing in light of this information. The first is to own your pathway. If you saw one of those pathways up there, and you're like, well, I think I might be uh, a, a sensate. There's something that I love about art or there's something I love about reading theology. Look, own it. Run out of here and dive into it. Buy a theology book. If you're a traditionalist, buy an old prayer book. If you know somebody else who might have that pathway that knows more about it, say, can you teach me about that? Own it because God has put eternity in your heart and he wants you to respond to him in a way that only you can. The second thing is to honor other people's pathways. Over and over again, the caution was, don't be prideful about other people's pathways. This is a challenge for me. I still fight against this. Why don't people experience God the same way I do? Because they're not you, Eric. I just read this this morning. Uh, what, in a way, you could say that all these nine pathways are related to prayer. Prayer is not just saying the Lord's Prayer. It's not just praying words. Praying is experiencing God. If that's true, all these pathways could be about prayer. And what I read this morning that says, you know what? You know how you should pray? Pray as you can. Do not pray as you can't. So if you pray by taking a walk in nature, by all means, go take a walk. Right? And then lastly, Every once in a while, you should experiment. You should experiment. And here's why. My pathways, which I will tell you, which is as an exercise, I'll tell you, mine have changed over time. And furthermore, um, I have understood that one of the big things in fitness right now is this thing called muscle confusion, where if you really want to grow physically, physiologically, you can't just do the same exercises over and over and over and over again because your body gets used to it and it compensates. So you can have a pathway that you've identified and you can just say, I am this way and I'm gonna be this way for five, 10, 15 years. Uh, maybe you are, but over those five, 10, and 15 years, I will say there's a high likelihood that your spiritual heart will, turn, will start to compensate and you'll start to, you'll start to know what it means to take a walk. You start to know what it means to, to experience art, and you might numb yourself a little bit. So the point being, if there was one of those pathways and you would say, well, what I know I'm not is fill in the blank, guess what? Go do that one. That's why I went to Guatemala. That's why I've been three times. I'm not an activist, but I don't want to miss out what God might have for me. So I throw myself into that chaos. I throw myself into that confusion, knowing that sometimes I just need to be shocked. Bam! So wake me up before you go-go. <laughs> so here's, so just, as a, just as an act of fun, 
just an act of fun before we close here. I want to tell you guys, um, I want to share my top three and my bottom three, just so I can show you. I've done this, and I, and I am doing it. My top three is the ascetic, the silence, the solitude. I go to a monastery once a year now, pretty much rhythmically, for three or four days of silence and solitude. I'm a contemplative. I need to rest in God's love. One of the things I get here really early on a Sunday, and I just sit with a a, a certain method of prayer that is designed to separate me from anything I might do today and just speak to who I am. I'm a human being before I'm a human doing. And I'm a traditionalist. I like the prayers of the church. I lean into that. I read about it. I need the structure or the routine because if I don't have it, I may not do it at all. So lock me in. Right? Those are my top three. Now, here's my bottom three. And this might be surprising to you guys. Um, The way they map out the book, you take this test, and if anything, if you are over 15 in anything, you lean into that, you lean towards that pathway. If you're lower than that, you don't have it. I'm actually over 15 in every single one, every single one except the activist. It's the only one that's, that's under. And I, I tie for naturalist and intellectual. And around here, I have the reputation of being an intellectual. I'm not. I read that stuff because it helps, but I have not read Calvin's Institutes. And that stuff is boring. I do it because I know I have to. I do it because it's good. I do it because it helps me. But there was a time probably five years ago when I was more of an intellectual. It changes. It changes. So be open to the way that might evolve in your life. And I want to just leave you with this quote, right? The point of this is not for you to identify your pathway to God. The point of this Uh, this week was not to remind myself of my pathway to God. The point is for me to respond to God's call in my life. Do you get that? Yes, I want you to know how to respond to God, but don't just get on the path and stay on the path without getting to the destination that the path is supposed to get you to. This has become one of my favorite scriptures. God is burning this into my heart right now. Just remember, this is what Paul says about the point of it all. This is what I internalize for me. Paul writes in Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection this glorious life that we're living, and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know God in the good. I want to know God in the bad. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. If you know me at all, you know I'm not there yet. But, what's the text say? I press on. I press on. 
I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Find your pathway. Get on it, but press on to the knowledge of Jesus. Don't just get on the pathway and go around the circle. Amen? Let's stand for closing prayer.